Hello friends, and welcome to the Healing Ground Movement. Now for more content and bonus features, you can join us on Facebook and Instagram. And remember, all of our content is delivered freely. So please consider supporting the show by donating via the link on our website at healinggroundmovement.com or liking and reviewing the podcast on your favorite platform. Enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, today's episode is brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox partners with people who are dedicated to doing the right thing, never cutting corners and always looking for ways to improve. Discover why they're the trusted source of high quality protein for families across the country. At ButcherBox, they believe in better. For them, that means caring about their animals and the planet, treating our planet with respect. It means improving the lives of animals and the livelihoods of farmers. And ultimately, it means better meals enjoyed together. The protein from ButcherBox is never given antibiotics or added hormones. It's humanely raised. Our family loves the convenience and quality and knowing that we are getting humanely raised and sustainably harvest protein. You can customize your box with the right amount of food and variety of meat to fit your family's individual needs. If you're interested in getting a special offer, go ahead and head to healinggroundmovement.com resources to follow the link for ButcherBox. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Healing Ground Movement Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, and with us today, we have Jamie Oretsky. She is a concussion advocate and has been for almost 10 years as a result of the life-altering concussion that her daughter suffered while playing in a high school soccer game. She has made it her mission to educate others and raise awareness about concussions, especially in youth sports. And as our listeners now well know, concussions and brain injuries have a special place in my heart, having gone through my own treatments and recovery. Um, But something else that really needs to be understood and supported is the role of the caregiver. And I know that we've um, had previous episodes where we talk about um, caregivers in acute situations, um, but there's a lot that falls on their shoulders. And there's a lot that comes when it's something like a concussion, which is a light switch from one version of life to another in an instant. Uh, So I am so grateful for Jamie to come and share her perspective and her warmth um, to to caregivers in this life-changing moment. So Jamie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So um, we we got just the teeniest little snippet there in your bio. Um, Can you give us a little bit about where this whole journey began in in becoming a concussion advocate, which is certainly nothing anybody would want to sign up for? Sure. Um, So my daughter uh, left to play in a high school soccer game, just like any other day. Um, She actually had hurt her leg, so she really wasn't supposed to play. And it was raining. So... I wasn't going to go to the game when it started. Um, and then I was headed towards the game a little bit later and I got a call from one of her teammates that she fell and uh, hit her head and they took her out of the game. She seemed okay, but I should come down. So I was, I was almost there. So I got there and um, she was sitting on the sidelines and she seemed okay, you know, not herself, but okay. Um, after the game, um, she came up to me and we talked for a minute and, you know, I said, how are you feeling? Are you okay? She said, well, they said I have a concussion. Um, and I wasn't quite sure what to do. Like, should I take her to the hospital? Um, she seemed okay. Should we just go home and see what happens the next day? So my husband happened to be away for the weekend, um, playing in a hockey tournament. And 
I thought, you know what, I better be safe. So I took her to the emergency room and they took us in immediately because it was a head injury and she had a CAT scan and they diagnosed her with a concussion. And as, as the evening wore on, even in the hospital, I could see the symptoms starting to get worse. Um, still not what they would become. And so I said, you know what, you might not be able to go to school the next day. When we get home, why don't you send a, an email to your teachers and let them know? She said, okay. So we get home and she gets on the computer to send the email. And all of a sudden she like, couldn't really see the screen. It was really hurting her head to, to focus. She couldn't do it. So I had to do it. And by that time I knew she definitely wasn't going to be going to school. Um, and they told us to get her to her regular doctor as soon as possible. So I brought her in the next day. Thankfully, we had a pediatrician who was extremely well-versed in concussion um, management. So she brought us into a dark room, kept us away from everybody else because in the pediatrician's office, there's a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. Um, So that became what we did every single Friday for three months. She did not go to school. Um, she She just couldn't. I mean, the symptoms got to the point I would say within 48 hours, they were absolutely terrible with the headache, the focus, uh, no light, no short-term memory, dizzy. I mean, she had everything, except she did not lose consciousness. Um, Then after the three months, she said, it's time for you to go to see uh, a neurologist. So we went to a neurologist, actually a neurosurgeon, and same thing no school. She was home in the dark room. Um, and then that became our life for a while. The, and I think that is such a, a heartbreaking and important thing to highlight, which is, you know, before we get to, you know, the transformative powers of advocacy and finding the care that we're looking for, this is often what life looks like when looking for those answers and and looking for that kind of support, uh, particularly around concussion. And you mentioned some of the the big symptoms, but very often um, it can be gently summed up in having a lot of sensory overload. So sound and light and touch and things to think about and things to do. It is just too much for the brain to handle once it's been injured. And that, that takes you right out of life. Absolutely. I mean, things like I couldn't empty the dishwasher if she was down on that floor. So she had to stay upstairs. Um, I mean, things you just can't imagine. I couldn't open the shades in the house. If someone came to the door, they were not allowed to ring the bell. High-pitched noises. Um, By the time we could go to restaurants, which was months and months and months later, um, I always had to ask for a seat not near the kitchen or not near where they would um, refill the glasses. You you know how they would stock the glasses on a counter? She couldn't be near that. She couldn't be near uh, the restroom with people coming and going. When she sat in the car to go to the doctor's appointments, she felt every bump in the road. Um, if, if an ambulance or a fi- uh, police car went by, that would be terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, just everyday little things that we don't even notice. Mm-hmm. If, if, it was, if it was windy out and we were in the car, there's the motion of the car, then there's the trees blowing, that was bad. 
um, going to the grocery store. A lot of times when you walk in, you're faced uh, with the produce section and all the different colors of fruits. She couldn't mm -hmm. handle that. She couldn't handle the, the sound of the wheels from the carts on the floor. Um, mm -hmm. The cash registers, when they would punch the numbers, there's a tiny little noise you probably don't even notice, but she noticed it. Yeah, the, the the brain is is on this hyper alert and and this discombobulated approach to trying to make sense of things that you know we've learned over our lifetime. I'm watching my daughter; she's five now, but I can remember back to when she was an infant. And anybody with little kids in their life, they know that you know they hear the one sound. And learning to process that one sound becomes the all-consuming, adorable thing that a two or three-month-old does. But when you are in your teens and 20s and 30s or whenever you, you have that concussion, your brain is trying to process all of these sounds at once. And it is just far more overwhelming. And life is way more complicated at that age than, say, at two or three months old. So what obviously this was overwhelming and and heartbreaking for your daughter but what about you as a caregiver and and as a mom watching watching your kiddo go through that well she was 15 when she got hurt so you know kind of in the prime of your teen years and getting ready to have fun with your friends getting your license um she was really athletic, so she played soccer. She ran winter track. She played ice hockey. She ran spring track. That was all gone. I mean, it was, it was so sad. Um, when all her friends went to get their license and she couldn't go, it's going to make me cry. Um, they all went on a trip over the summer and she couldn't go. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. Yeah, I mean, we we lose so much of, of these givens in the pursuit of just trying to, to make it through and make it by. Yeah. Make me cry too. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just tear <laughs> that, <up> out of here. <laughs> so here I am now almost 10 years later. And I, I, you know, when everyone says about the teen years, I didn't even have them with her. You know, I didn't have the struggles. I had different struggles, but I didn't have the behavioral type struggles that some parents have with teens trying to find themselves or experimenting or anything like that. She couldn't do any of it. Mm -hmm. She was home with me. So. So what were the struggles that you had? What, what did those 10 years turn into for you? Well, here I am talking about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, when she got hurt, I, I, um, it was 10 years ago. So there wasn't as much available as there is now in terms of information and resources. So I would spend, she slept a lot. Um, and I would spend all of the time that she was sleeping doing research on different kinds of um, things that could help her, different therapies. You, you can't just go to the doctor and get better. It, the concussions just don't work that way. Yep. Um, so you, you have to look for all kinds of alternative things, which are most often not covered by insurance either. Um, and then in terms of, so there's the pain, then there's, you know, the psychological part of it. And then there's um, the cognitive part of it. So you have to figure out all of those things. So I took her to a therapist who specialized in brain injuries because a regular therapist for teens would not understand what she was going through. Mm -hmm in my opinion. 
Um, like you said, she's not going through emotionally rebellious phases. She's right. trying to get through her day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the most important piece of advice that therapist gave me was that my daughter was an extremely competitive person before her injury, very competitive academically and in her sports. And she said, you know, that is part of her personality. That's not going anywhere. You need to refocus that kind of energy. So that's when she became an advocate for concussions because other teens out there weren't talking about it at the time. So she became someone that they came to for help and support. She started a blog. Uh, She was a really, and still is very active in the Brain Injury Association of America, uh, Massachusetts, I'm sorry, um, as an advocate for them. And, you know, that's, that took her on a whole new path for her life. Uh, She, went to college, which I never thought she'd be able to do. Mm -hmm. I really thought she'd live with me forever and work part-time in a small little store that wasn't busy because she couldn't have any visual stimulation or anything. But, you know, I I found a treatment, functional neurology, uh, that helped her immensely. And Mm -hmm. she went off to college. Beautiful. Well, I love this advice um, from your therapist, from her therapist, um, about refocusing the personality. And I think that is um, a really beautiful gift to, to anybody dealing with a, an acute or chronic, a big impact to their health and, and concussion very specifically and brain injury specifically, is that it doesn't change who you are as a person. It changes what you can do with who you are as a person. And, and that's the piece that is, is sort of the hardest to balance because I think when we watch someone we love suffer, um, we want to do and care for and, and take every burden off of them that we can. But for a competitive personality, there's, there's a drive that has to still be fed. Um, and you know, for, for me, I, I take care of myself. I, I do it myself. And so the worst thing, the hardest part of my brain injury was not being able to do as much, but even worse would be being put in a situation where I wasn't allowed to do the little I could. So getting to know what that underlying drive of personality is and and meeting your loved one in that moment, such a gift, such an opportunity for holding that you were able to provide for your daughter and, and the trajectory it gave to her life. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I, I don't know, um, I don't know what would have happened had I not been given that piece of advice. Because you're right in that she wasn't a different person; she could just do different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that really saved her because you know that depression is a huge part of brain injury. Mm-hmm. So I stayed on top of this every single day because she was so competitive. Um, And and we were able to avoid that depression by refocusing her um, strengths and her desires. So the competitiveness, although not on a field, still it's that she still has that inside her. So we just refocus and you know, we talk about what she wants to do when she goes to college. We keep a list um, on my computer. We talk about it at night and um, we 
talk about how she's going to get to that point, you know, that kind of stuff. And if you just keep those things alive, um, I don't know. I think it helped. I really do. I mean, I, I, I can only speak for my experience and, and how that parallels your daughter's experience. And I'd be here saying, I, I can't see how it didn't. I mean, how it wasn't the thing that um, helps drive through. Um, yeah, I, that just, that, that hits me in the heart in a way that I <laughs> really define words for. Uh, but you brought up a really good point, which is that, you know, t- even just 10 years ago, I mean, my brain injury was another 35 years ago from that, you know, 25 years ago from that is that the, what we've learned about concussions and what we've learned about how to manage and what to treat. I mean, it is, it is a whole different world. Um, myths of concussions, even going as far as, like you said, your daughter had everything but loss of consciousness. And I think five, 10 years before quote the time exactly, but five, 10 years before that, it wouldn't even be called a concussion without loss of consciousness. What were some of the the myths and things that you have learned over the years of your research about concussions that I that perhaps lay people still think are true? I know that I still hear in my office. Well, you know, you get in a concussion, you get a concussion, you go in a dark room, you stay there for a couple of days, and you're good. Or um, don't sleep because you might never wake up. Those are the two that I still hear most often. What can you what can you share with us through your hard earned research about some of these? <laughs> oh, I definitely hear the oh, don't don't let them go to sleep. You got to wake them up every hour. So now we know that's definitely not what you do because the brain heals when it's at rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and now sitting in the dark room is not necessarily recommended. Now it's recommended, you know, to do light activity uh to sort of just below where the symptoms would escalate um and she didn't really do that you know it's just different now so mm-hmm. um yeah i hear and also i hear um about you know so if someone had a concussion oh you know what they're feeling better now so it's fine but it's not fine they don't understand that they pile on each other or you know i have friends whose kids play football and they'll get concussions and they'll call me and I'll say, well, this is what you should do. This is what worked for us. You know, I recommend this. And they'll say, well, you know what, I'll give it a week or so. And if they feel better, then they can just go back to what they were doing. And, you know, it's not my child. So I can only say so much, but personally, that's not what I would do knowing what we know now. So why is that knowing what you know now? Um, I, Maybe you can heal in a week. You know, some, they're not all like my daughters, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that you have to properly be tested for certain things before you're allowed back in the classroom or back on the field. And to me, they're equal, right? You, if you're going to go back on the field, you have to be able to go back to the classroom. I mean, mm-hmm. that's really more important. Um, so, but they seem to not care that much about back to the classroom. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I just, so my daughter was in honors classes. She had to drop down to all of the not honors classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was tough for her, really tough for her because she prided herself on being a really good student. And mm-hmm. she had to work in a whole different way. She had to have special tutors. She had to relearn how to 
look at a book. I mean, it was, it was so hard, you know, in math with graph paper, those tiny little squares and lines, it was terrible for her. Yeah. When so you're, when your eyes are having trouble focusing, nothing like tiny little compartments to make them give up, give up. entirely. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So before you send a child back to school, mm-hmm. have them look at a piece of graph paper. If they can look at it with no problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if they have a problem, then there's a problem. Well, and you bring up another um, really good underlying myth, especially because the place that we hear about concussion so much is on the field, is in sports. Um, I I am a rare incident, not rare, I'm gnarly not that rare. Um, but when people ask me what sports I played after finding out that I had a you know a brain injury, it's like I never got to play sports, I never got that far. But we really expect that that's the place it is, and that's and therefore that's the place that matters. Just like there's a concussion as part of a a car accident, kind of the the second most common place to think of it, that it matters. Can you drive again? Can you do the thing that you were doing when you got hurt? Which is so myopic when we think about the fact that our brain, our, our beautiful, squishy, wrinkly brain is responsible for how we function in the world across the board and that your daughter was injured in a soccer game. Well, in a soccer game, she needs to be able to coordinate and move her body and judge the distance of the ball coming at her across the field and communicate with her class, with her teammates to say what's coming next. Well, she has to do a version of that in the classroom. She has to judge the distance to the desk, the pen to the paper, to anticipate the teacher, what they're going to say next, to communicate with her classmates. Same thing driving, same thing, you know, engaging in all of it. it yeah. You can't compartmentalize this. No, when, when she went back to school, in fact, um, she was able to leave class early before the bell rang because mm-hmm. the bell would bother her. Um, the commotion in the hallways bothered her. She mm-hmm. told me when she, it was a, an old school with a linoleum floor. She said when she walked on that floor, she could feel every step from the bottom of her foot up into her brain. People don't think about that stuff. If she felt that way inside the school, she's not ready to play a sport. Yeah. Well, and, and I just, in, in this, this is probably my baggage coming out, but to say, you know, that the bell bothered, I, I think that, that, um, puts light on the fact of what the bell actually, you know, the bell wasn't just a, an annoyance. You know, a lot of us go through the school day and it's like, ah, it's loud and I don't like it. You know, when, when we talk about something bothering someone with a head injury is it will rattle. It will create such a large disconnect of focus that it may take minutes, hours, or days to come back from the rattle of that sudden bell, you know, or the the sudden touch, or the the continuous vibration and irritation, it's not just a oh I don't like it kind of bother. It rattles the individual to the core. Absolutely. Um, one of the other things. So she went to a private school, which I was very lucky because they were really good to her. Um, when there was going to be a fire drill, the fire department had to call the school ahead of time to tell us so that I could go get her and take her out of the school because she could not handle the fire drill, the commotion. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that would, like you said, that would set her back for days. Mm-hmm. 
And, and so then we can think about, you know, the overall impact of this on the individual, just hoping to get through life and not need to have all these special accommodations, but also general safety, because, you know, should it not have been a drill, but actually having to evacuate for fire, evacuate from danger, getting through day-to-day life is hard enough without escalating into high-intensity emergency situations, which then also goes back to your point about if you can't return to day-to-day life, if you can't return to the classroom, then you have no business going back into high-pressure situations like being on the field or getting behind the wheel of a you know, several ton moving vehicle, you know, we really have to stack these experiences and our expectations. Absolutely. Um, And to your point of expectations, um, I had to have her tested before she went back to school. Mm -hmm. So she missed most of her sophomore year. So before her junior year, they told me that I needed to take her to a speech and language pathologist and have her tested. So I did. And they, one of the tests they did was um, integrating new information, mm-hmm. which that's what you do in school, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She tested at five years old. So yeah. I did not tell her because I felt like, why does she need to know that? That's going to set her expectations. Mm-hmm. So I just never told her. Um, and she went back to school, you know, in the, in, not in the honors classes, you know, and then there's the social part of that too, where mm-hmm. all her friends were in the honors classes that she'd been in class with for a couple of years. And now she was in a different class. Um, and I said, you know, you just have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. You're, we're doing things to get you better. You know, you'll, you'll come around, but in the meantime, do your best in these classes. Yeah. It's so it's- that's, it's the hidden cost of everything that always um, feels the most dear to me that, you know, so some of my symptoms is to say like, if I were just dizzy, yeah, that's annoying. If I were just, you know, had to be um, sensitive about the sounds I heard or, or the amount of activities I did in a day. But the cost of that is then missing out, is having to not be with your peers, having to cancel important events because you just can't be there, or there are too many accommodations to be made, and it's not worth the cost of being set back for days or weeks at a time. That's, to me, what makes brain injury such a difficult thing to bear. You know, if it were just being dizzy, that sure sounds a whole lot better than missing out. Absolutely. And as her mom watching her miss out, it was, it's just awful. But the the thing that was important for me was that I just had to accept that this is how it's going to be. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't sit around and wish for it to be different because it wasn't going to be different. So I decided that that's how I got into advocacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I just accepted my situation and her situation and dealt with that situation, not what I wanted it to be. And so what was the gift of that? I mean, you're kind of leaning towards it, but I would just love to hear more about what was the gift of that acceptance? What what did that really do for you in the present moment that, that brought you here 10 years later? Um, 
so she and I, well, we always had a great relationship, but you know, you can imagine lying on a bed next to your child for a year. We got really close. (laughs) So, um, I don't know. We just have a really, really special relationship. And I know she's really thankful for the care she got because I mean, my husband had to be on board with this. I have a son who we also had to not, you know, not forget about. He, he did things and we had to make sure he got to his activities and we participated in watching his activities. I'd have to get her a babysitter because she couldn't be alone in the house. She didn't even know her way around the house at at Mm -hmm. one point. Um, so it was a whole family thing. And I, my family, the four of us were very, very close. And, um, I think that, you know, good things come out of bad situations sometimes. And while I would never wish this on anybody, um, we did make the best of it. And as a result, I just feel that we, we have a special bond. Mm -hmm. Um, and although her dreams are different, you know, what she's done is different than what she was planning to do. She's so happy. She loves what she does now. Um, and it is brain orient. You know, she works with the brain, um, which she would have never thought about before. And she absolutely loves what she does. So there, there are things that come out of it that are better than maybe if this hadn't happened. Well, and I, it's, it's so fascinating because we always say that, Say, I'm just going to group myself in here. Um, you know, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. You know, we and and we wouldn't. I mean, my goodness, watching your child go through that, going through that personally. Any, and then we've had lots of conversations on the podcast before of a variety of things we wouldn't wish on anybody. But we get to keep the lesson. We get we get the the shift, the plot twist in our life um, from these kinds of things, and what seems to be a universal thread through all of these trials and tribulations that we wouldn't wish on anyone else is a level of acceptance. Because when we can take a look at what is, you know, without necessarily attaching the good, the bad, the loss, the lingering and the sadness of of what isn't there. And that's not to say it doesn't show up. I mean, there are, I'm sure still moments that, oh, what could have been, but to not linger there and rather accept what's right in front of us, that's where that lesson in that gift lies. And you miss it by wishing or pushing or trying to make something, you know, putting lipstick on a pig, trying to make it something that it's not. Right. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree with you. How can you live a fulfilling and happy life if all you wish for is something that cannot be? Mm-hmm. And the, the amazing gift of, say this very tongue-in-cheek, I guess, but having to learn that in a traumatic experience really puts you in this choice point that it's very, uh, I mean, not that people don't do it, but I think it's much harder to choose to sit and wallow. There's a certain point where the wallow is just, just, just not fun, just done with it. And that choice point of acceptance is very, very clear. But how many people outside of the world of trauma, outside of the world of concussion or injury or or anything, um, spend their days wishing that life were different rather than looking at what's around them and accepting what is? You know, sometimes that's the biggest gift of the unimaginable is 
you you get to make the choices at a louder level at a at a bigger pivot point instead of getting swept away in the mundane. I don't know if that made sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, I personally have met so many people, as has my daughter, mm-hmm. because of her brain injury that have become my very close friends. And we have bonds with these people that we don't have with friends that we've had for you know our whole lives. Um, and it's just a very special relationship. And I, I think that coming from a parent's or a caregiver's point of view, watching someone that you love go through a complete change of their life. Um, I don't know. It, it makes, it made my life a little bit more meaningful. I don't know if, if I'm explaining it properly, but it's a little more joyful now because I've learned to not live life right on the surface. You know, I, I have deeper relationships with people. Um, I am so passionate about this concussion advocacy and education. It's, it's like I found my purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was fine before, you know, I had a, a job that I had had for like 25 years and I did fine and I liked it. And, but I didn't know what I was missing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that phrase, I, not to live life right on the surface. You do um, it, that level of acceptance, that looking at what is and what could have been and what was lost. Um, you certainly don't want to miss the opportunity to value and love what you've got and, and to make all of those. Right. And it sounds trite and doesn't make it any less true. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And relationships with people, especially her, mm-hmm. that she had before her concussion, some of those relationships changed, disappeared. You know, that was really hard for her too. She had a really, really good friend who just dropped her. And mm-hmm. that was very hard for her to accept. And as a mother, it was very hard to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, you know, that's human nature. That's how people are. They, they don't want to deal with someone who can't do things with them or they don't understand what's going on or the injury. Mm-hmm. That's fine, but there's no room when you're recovering from a brain injury, there's just no room for trying to make amends with that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you only get so much energy in every day when you have a brain injury and you need to expend it very wisely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, that's it. And it does that part of that um, is that, you know, it, it changes the, the quality of how you spend your time because when your moments of clarity and focus and engagement and the work it takes to get there are so precious, you're not, you're not going to waste it on, on people who don't fill you up in places that don't make you grateful to be there. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, as time went on and she started to feel better and she could go out, um, you know, she had to be careful about where she went, who she went with that kind of thing. But the energy it took for her to, to get out the door. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's not like I, like me getting up, taking a shower, getting dressed and going out. It's not like that at all. First of all, when you go in the shower, the water coming on your head, it hurts your head. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then it just goes from there. You know, then you want to comb your hair while putting the comb through your hair hurts your head. So mm-hmm. People just don't understand what it takes to literally get out the door. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much more 
um, everything costs, everything mm-hmm. takes from there. There is no neutral in getting out the door. Right. So you had to kind of, not kind of, definitely research and, and find everything that your daughter needed from the ground up. I mean, concussion protocol 10 years ago was um, minimal at best. You know, there's the extreme injury and brain bleed and emergency intervention necessary for that. But after that, not a whole lot to be done aside from don't overstimulate yourself and wait it out. The end. Yeah. Not good enough. Um, what, what did you find in all of your research? What, what were the answers that now you're sharing with others out there that you wish you knew 10 years ago? So I had a a thing in my head where I would, so she was, you know, 15 at the time. So basically she did what I said, right. Mm -hmm. I could take her wherever I wanted to take her. And she just came. She wasn't an adult free to make her own decisions and say, I'm not going to go. Um, so in my head, I always wanted to have two modalities, one that I was currently doing. And then the next one for when that one stopped working because every single one of them stopped working at some point. So it, that's why I was constantly doing research. So we went to an herbalist that helped for, for a bit. And then I, she needed more. Um, we went to um, physical therapy that set her back. She was, she was doing okay. She went to physical, th- physical therapy, set her back for about two months. Mm-hmm. I mean, the setbacks, I don't think people get what the setbacks mean. You know, she would save up to watch a TV show. And if it was um, like, she likes dancing with the stars. Mm-hmm. Well, there's all kinds of lights and glitz and all that. She would have to save up her energy for a couple of weeks to watch it. And then she knew that she'd be down for probably a month after she watched it. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I, I can't even, doesn't even make sense when you hear it. Just because you watch a show for an hour, you, you're mm-hmm. in bed for a month. But yes, that's how it goes. But that, you know, that's the cost when we think about just like to try and encapsulate it as quickly as I can, if, if I can, you know, every time your eyes move to focus on something, it requires coordination from your brain. And if they're doing a bad job at focusing on something because of a head injury, they can overshoot, undershoot, focus right and left in two different places and then have to agree on it. And every time they do that, your brain then has to do even more work, like work to correct. And the busier that motion is, the busier that exchange is, the more your brain has to do to correct until it could get to the point, like something like Dancing with the Stars. I just watched Jojo Siwa with my daughter and Dancing with the Stars all morning, actually. And that is a lot happening. Um, it could get to be so much work for the brain that it's tripping over itself in confusion by the end of it. And that is the exhaustion. Um, I recently went to California with my family and had to have a discussion because I I recently had a re-injury of my brain and had to have a discussion with my family that I had to choose what I was going to do because walking up for me, balance and coordination are my biggies. Um, walking on the beach on unsteady sand, watching the waves go in and out where my brain didn't know 
that though my eyes were watching the waves, I was not moving with them. The reflex that that communicates that to my brain had gone kerpluck. Um, and um, it was going to tax me. And I could go walk down the beach and go critter hunting with my family, which is all I had been wanting to do for since my daughter was born, because we live in Colorado, there's no wave critter hunting here. Um, but if I did that, I would not be able to join them for the rest of the day. And I would need the house empty so that I could control all of my stimulation and rest and recover. I needed all of their buy-ins so that I could go to tide pools and find starfish. And bless all their hearts, they let me do it. Um, they supported me in doing that. But that is what it takes to save up. That's the cost. And, and your daughter's cost to watch something so dear and precious to her. I was dancing with the stars. I mean, we got to have those things that that's what makes it worth recovering, whatever yep. that is for us. Right. Mm -hmm. um, when you talked about the eyes mm -hmm. and the brain um, and going back to the different things that I took her to, I mean, I took her to almost anything you can think of. Massage. Uh, I found a uh, specialist who did a massage called Jin Shin Do, which is for brain injuries. Mm -hmm. She did that. That was helpful. Um, she did went to a kinesiologist who did uh, muscle memory. That was helpful. Everything was helpful mm -hmm. for a while. And then I took her to functional neurology, which they targeted the eyes and the brain, like you were talking about. And that changed everything. Mm -hmm. It does. I mean, it is the best kept, I was actually, I want to say the worst kept secret because it's terrible that it, that no, not everybody knows this exact is exactly where to go with a brain injury. Um, you know, the, the eyes are the window into the brain and how they move and how they coordinate can touch almost every structure of the brain. And then we can add on additional modalities that deal with sensory like touch and movement and support our metabolic health, like with supplements or herbal treatments. But at that very baseline, we have to get to how do we rehab the brain proper? And I don't know anything that does that like functional neurology. No, I, I didn't find it till three years into her injury. <clears throat> Excuse me, it was May and she was supposed to go to college in September. And I really didn't know how that was going to happen, but somehow she was going. So I stayed up one night Googling, you know, I, I said, I have got like three or four months left. I, I've got to make the best of them. I got to, I got to push real hard and make it so she's okay. So I, go, I was up one night Googling and I found functional neurology close by. Um, I made an appointment and I was kind of nervous because, you know, when you're going to start a new thing, that's a whole nother ball of wax in terms of your energy and your emotional expectations. And I, I can't even explain what goes into starting that next oh my, therapy. Yes, it's yes. unbelievable. 100%. So I called and I made the appointment and I thought, should I go? Should I take her? Should we go down this route? Because if it doesn't work, I, I'm going to be out of time. Mm -hmm. I just said, you know what? Just go. So we went. She went three times a week for three months. And then she went off to college and didn't have a problem. She did have some accommodations, but, and she did go local, but never had to come home. And we never had to go get her or go sit with her. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. She worked hard at home too. You know, they gave her exercises at home. She did them faithfully. And the difference 
between when she first went and then when she went to college. And then she had strategies that they had given her and the at-home exercises. So when she felt something coming on, she could just turn to those on her own. And she hasn't had to go for any treatments with anything since. It's amazing. And some of it is, uh, you know, of course, having the exercises and having the treatments that target the right piece of the injury. But to me, so much of it and and finding not just a functional neurologist, but a really good functional neurologist that can educate you and tell you what's happening is that now we have demystified the layering of the brain and how, which is so cool coming from a clinical perspective and so incredibly amazing as a patient to now have control over understanding not just I'm okay until I've totally crashed out, but I start to feel the early warning signs and I know what to do about them along the way. It's so empowering. Absolutely. It feels you have a little bit of control now over what's mm-hmm. happening to you. Yeah, it was it was amazing what they did for her. And then she worked there that summer at the clinic. Um, so it was it was great, really helped her a lot. And so we've, so for any of our listeners who know someone who would benefit or that they themselves that would benefit um, from functional neurology, we, we've done a couple episodes and, and we will link those out in our social media. We've talked with um, two amazing functional neurologists. Um, one was based out of Colorado. He's moved to Georgia. Um, Sean Van Winkle, Dr. Sean Van Winkle. And then uh, Dr. Michael Lovich also did a, an episode with us about brain inflammation. Um, and Dr. Michael Lovich is actually who you work for now, Jamie, you work with and his, his um, clinics across the country. Yes, actually, the clinic that I took my daughter to, <clears throat> he worked there, <clears throat> excuse me, and then one of the other doctors that works with us worked there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I met them. Actually, I met one of the other doctors I met prior to that. She mm-hmm. had a brain balance franchise and I met her through that. Um, and then we just stayed friendly and, you know, she went to work at that clinic and now I work with both of them. So what is the, um, the basic introduction that you give for functional neurology? You know, when you, when you meet people and you're advocating for this sort of intervention, how would you explain it? (laughs) I do it differently than they do it. So I do it from the caregiver's standpoint, because when I'm talking to another mom, for example, which is a lot of who I talk to, um, they, they understand it from my perspective. And I tell them that, you know, for three years, I took her everywhere to everything I could think of. Um, and everything got her a little bit better, but it wasn't until I took her to these people who would tell me things that they found when they would examine her that I'd never heard before. You know, I had taken her to all these people and nobody ever told me this and nobody ever told me that. And they told me immediately, they do a a very, very thorough examination when you first go. I mean, I'd never seen anything like it. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, she's got this and this and this, and this is how we can correct it. And I'm thinking, you're kidding me. She's had this all along and I never knew. And that's what they did. And the correcting is not that, I mean, it's, it's difficult for the patient. It's exhausting, um, but it's not some crazy stuff. It's sort of, she had little exercises she had to do with her eyes. She could do it at home with a post-it note. Um, they weren't outlandish, difficult things. They were simple and they, they got to the root of the problem 
they corrected it and then things started to fire differently in her brain and mm-hmm. you can see it you could see it progress with each with each visit and i have really found that over the years both clinically and personally because i went through um you know, the, the every provider game as well, including um, Jin Jin, uh, which I'd never heard anybody else mention that helped restore a lot of my hearing early on, um, is that what when we start getting into really complicated, huge interventions, to me, that always felt like we were wandering further away from, from the source of the problem. And it was whenever I found a thorough exam and a simple treatment that seemed to be the magic mix, because when it comes to healing the body and and the brain, um, it wants to heal. It has the mechanisms to heal, but sometimes those pathways need encouragement, need reminding. And, and it is simple things that allow it to do that. Teaching the eyes to focus on a single spot. Again, this is a really typical exercise that happens through functional neurology, gaze stability. You know, that's something that we learn as infants. Again, you know, that was our, our job's only brain to do, you know, our brain's only job to do. Well, okay. Um, you know, for a, several weeks at a time was to find something, focus on it and learn how to focus on it. And without that focus, we also can't focus our thoughts or our attention or our body and our movements. It, it is, there's a reason why we learn that before we learn to walk, crawl and walk. And so we have to go back to that initial foundational behavior of the brain and start stacking again. Right. Yep. And it's so simple and exhausting and and a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she, she finished high school Mm -hmm. and then we started with the functional neurology. So she had some, she had accommodations in high school. Mm -hmm. She started the functional neurology. She got accommodations for college and did not need them. I love it. Yeah. I love it. My personal things for her in college, I did not want her on a bunk bed, but that had nothing to do with like the functional neurology stuff. She did her schoolwork. She did it on time. She didn't need extra time. I mean, she just, the pathways, I could see it. I'm I'm just a mom. I'm not a scientist or anything. Mm -hmm. I could see it happening with every visit. Mm-hmm. And, and the transformation, and I'm wondering, you know, as a mom looking at this transformation and where we started off in this place of accepting the new normal post-injury, and then what does that acceptance look like through this transition, through this change? Because she's, she still has that, you know, that res- residue of, of mm-hmm. brain injury in there. How, how do we um, take on that nuance of transition, you know? Um, it's interesting because she, she doesn't live with me anymore. She is out of the house and she lives with her fiance, but she's home for a while. And we just had really, really, really bad brainstorms here. Mm -hmm. Um, so we go about our lives, um, normally now, you know, there's not much that has to be different with her at all, but then the rainstorms came and I knew they were coming because she got a really bad headache on Monday and they or Sunday and they came the next day. So she just lays down and she puts an ice pack on her head. But that's really all she has to do now. Um, she kind of tells me that it, it feels like she can feel the fog rolling in and then she gets the headache 
but then it goes. But there's no cognitive issues with it anymore. Um, there's none of the other stuff that goes with it. She takes some Advil sometimes. Sometimes she doesn't even do that. That's the residue that she has left. Her, her speech and language and cognition is absolutely fine now. When she first got hurt, she's got a very big personality. She had no personality. It was completely gone. She was just flat. And mm-hmm. it took a while for it to come back. And she's fine with that now. She, she uh, started running again because people don't think about this, but every time you put your foot on the pavement, especially if you're running, it goes right up into your head. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the vibration, the percussion, the movement. And that's just hearkening a little bit back to what we're talking about with, with functional neurology. It's about layering sensations. You know, once your brain can feel comfortable about where it is in space, how your eyes focus, how it can coordinate those movements, then we can start to take in outside external um, stimulation and movements. Um, uh, I'm just thinking, uh, Dr. Lovich is, is kind of like a little brother to me and he was doing some work on me a few weeks ago and he just started tapping my head, you know, like a little brother would just poking on, on the side. He's like, this is therapeutic, I promise. And it was in that it was creating vibration and creating a sensation of something coming at my face that didn't, so that I would learn where my face was so that I wouldn't flinch so that I would have that kind of reception in my brain. And same thing with your daughter's foot hitting the ground is that that vibration comes up and her brain better know what, where the rest of her body is. Otherwise that's going to feel like an assault. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. So they, they did teach her a lot at the functional neurologist about her body in relation to space Mm -hmm. and where her body is at all times. It was really interesting. Uh, proprioception. Yep. Um, so interesting. <laughs> it was so interesting to me. I personally learned so much from this that mm-hmm. I've, I'm fascinated by all of it. I sat in on every appointment and I listened and I took notes and it, it's just fascinating. Um, they delve so deeply into the brain without any kind of pharmaceutical or um, interventional type of stuff. It's all something you can do yourself. Mm-hmm. If only you know the pathway. If only you right. know the way in. Yeah. Functional neurology gives you the map of the brain and how to navigate, you know, where, where those lost and smudge spaces are so that you can bring everything back into focus. It made me look at her injury in a whole different way. It's amazing. And, and there is some, I love this shift that we're seeing in at least alternative medicine. And, and I do see, um, you know, modern Western medicine coming along as well. It's a couple steps behind. Um, but that when we start to look at things functionally, when we start to look at the root of where a problem is, instead of having the whack-a-mole of symptoms, and it's just this one thing after another that we're trying to manage or control, we can support and we can heal. And there is so much less to control and contrive on top of all that if we come from a really strong foundation of fixing the problem at its source. Yeah. And functional neurology is, is that for the brain. Absolutely. So any other um, pearls of hard-worn wisdom 
or other caregivers who may be just starting this experience, may, you know, be 10, 15, 20 years in. Um, what what would you share with our listeners in that in those boats? So I do think the acceptance of the new situation and the new normal is really important um, for both the patient and the caregiver. And just because it's different doesn't mean it's worse. It can be better. Mm-hmm. You, you just have to make make a new of it. Um, and I think that what that therapist had told me, take what is important in that person's life and refocus it because you can do that with pretty much anything. You know, if you're artistic and maybe you can't do the music for a while because you can't, you know, you can't take the noise. So you maybe draw or refocus that some other way. Um, And for my daughter, for example, it was advocacy. So maybe, you know, people turn to advocacy or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. just refocus something that's important to you. It doesn't have to go away. Yeah. Oh, I, I think that's incredible advice. I I wish I wish I'd had that to hand out to people in, in my own recovery. And it's definitely something I'll be handing out to my patients as well. Thank you so much for oh, you're welcome for for bringing that and 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 sharing that with us today. Uh, where can our listeners find you? Find the functional neurology clinics with with, which, with whom you work. Um, Give, give us some names. <laughs> so, so we have offices in Boulder and Denver, Colorado, Hampton, New Hampshire, Providence, Rhode Island, and Cambridge, Lenox, and Braintree, Massachusetts. And you can find all of that on our website at www.deltasperformance.com. And you can click on each office and there's a little thing where you can get started. That's beautiful. And, and yeah, I just, I have to throw my hat in the ring here too. If I haven't already done it enough times throughout this podcast, when it comes to brain injury and it comes to needing that rehab and recovery, there is nothing like functional neurology. There is nothing like getting to the root of the problem to deal with, with something that, that most providers will tell you it is what it is and you just got to deal with it. You know, I had to wait 27 years to to find this care for myself. Um, you know, your daughter going through those two, three years before getting off to college, it's too long when these providers are here waiting to dive in and help. So it's never too late, but don't wait too long. How about that? That's All great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you to everyone tuning in to join us today. Thank you, Jamie, for joining us and sharing your personal experience and your daughter's journey. Um, I hope that there was a nugget of change, a moment of inspiration for all of you. And we will catch you next week with another episode of the Healing Ground Movement Podcast. Be well. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and got a little something out of it. Now remember, the information expressed in these interviews is for informational and not diagnostic or treatment purposes. However, I hope you find that having the right information and resources can go a long way to helping you on your healthcare journey. Ask the right questions and seek out professional help.